0: Oh, it's been just a great focus here over these uh, past few weeks as we've been talking about being for Fort Mill, and and thank you. Many of you have engaged in that. Many of you here yesterday as we uh, went out and served the community in various ways. Also, uh, already hearing some cool stories from uh, Pay It Backwards as you've uh, been doing that. And uh, if you haven't been engaged in that yet, there's still some resource tables out in the lobby. You can pick up uh, uh, a prayer uh, bookmark. You. and to pick up uh, little cards that have uh, uh, First Baptist Church's 4 Fort Mill and a little uh, window sticker as well. Uh, just some simple ideas we talked about last week uh, of ways that we can just uh, kind of keep this going. Uh, but we're in for a treat uh, this this morning. Jack Blankenship is with us. You just saw a little taste of some of what happens at the Baptist uh, Campus uh, Ministry. He's the campus minister uh, at uh, for Baptist Collegiate Ministry uh, that serves Winthrop. Uh, York Tech and Clinton College. Uh, He's a Southeastern uh, seminary grad. He's been in his current position eight years, but prior to uh, coming to that position, served in student ministry at a local church uh, in the Atlanta area. Uh, He met his wife and life uh, partner, Carrie, as they were both serving as summer uh, missionaries while in college and been married, I think, uh, 17 years now. And uh, God's uh, blessed them with Four children: uh, Caleb thirteen, Noah eleven, Josiah nine, and Eden seven. And so, uh, listen. I just heard this message earlier uh, the first service. Uh, he did a great job. Uh, going to break open God's word, and it's just uh, just a perfect tie in to all that we've been focusing on. So, I'm going to encourage you to open a Bible, get out a note taking. God, uh, open your heart uh, and allow God to to speak to you this morning. Uh, but as uh, He comes, would you give a first? first? First Baptist welcome to Jack Blankenship,
1: please. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. I just I want to start by just saying thank you. Um, and I, I told the first service this, and I want to tell you too, that uh, I don't say thank you is kind of like some obligatory, perfunctory, you got to say that. Um, I want to say thank you for your partnership in ministry. We uh, at the BCM are an extension of our local churches. We are not a church. We tell our students that all the time. We're not church. We are pushing them constantly to be involved with our local churches because we are a representation of you on campus. And we get the privilege of being a part of what God's doing on all three of our campuses here. And really, BCMs across the state are supported uh, through our cooperative programs. I just want to say thank you so much. We could not do what we do uh, without your support, both financial prayer... Um, and and support otherwise. I I would like to kind of give you an idea of some of what's happening this summer uh, or this summer, this year at BCM. Just a little snapshot. Uh, One of the things we are praying for this year as we were praying that god would raise up 20 summer missionaries from bcm now last summer we had a lot of students who did mission opportunities through local churches and through bc missions uh, but through our bcm missions uh, we had i think 12 last year and what we were praying for is we were praying that god would raise up 20 students to go Uh, on mission this summer through BCM. And just this past week, uh, we realized that God answered that prayer. We have 20 students going through BC missions this summer, everywhere from uh, the Middle East, Europe, Asia, all over God is sending students. So this year we ask our students in our small groups, we ask them to kind of of report to us, hey, what is God doing? How is God moving through your groups? And through our small groups, this is what we've seen so far this year. I checked this last night to see if I was reporting the numbers correctly. We've had 1,815 spiritual conversations. That is students just engaging people with questions like, do you go to church? Do you believe in God? What do you think about God? What do you think happens when we die? A spiritual conversation. And out of that, we've had 318 times where students have shared the gospel with somebody on one of our three campuses. Um Including 876 invitations to either church or BCM. And God has shown great favor. Uh, I got a text just on Thursday night. From one of our interns that a guy on the basketball team came over. And he told me the story. He said, the guy came over to BCM where our interns reside. And he said, uh, and he just wanted to talk about girls. And I was like, man, I'm so tired of talking to this dude about girls and something. And he just kind of said, can we talk about something else? He's like, oh, I get it. You believe in God. And he texted me and he said, within an hour, the guy said, I just, I know that I need Jesus. Would you show me how to trust Jesus? And he led him to the Lord right there in the back room of BCM. It was just, yeah, just, God is doing great things. And and honestly, I'm just trying to stay out of the way. Uh, I don't want to mess it up. Lord is doing great things. But I tell you that to let you know, God is moving on our campuses. God is moving in a powerful way. Um, and I just want to say thank you for being part of that. Um, this past week, we had our spring break mission trip, which we call Love Rock Hill. We stay in town. We serve nonprofits and churches and ministries and even the city of Rock Hill itself. And we did that um, this past week and saw God do some cool things. And, and as we come in, as I come in this morning on the heels of the 4 Fort Mill Initiative, as you're in the middle of that and moving forward, the question that I have and something I'd like for us to think about this morning Is how do we take these initiatives, these events, these things that we do, the idea of loving Rock Hill, being for Fort Mill. How do we take these and make sure that they aren't a one-time blip on the radar? How do we keep it from being something that we look back upon in a while and say, we did some neat things, we did some, some cool stuff, we can tell a few good stories, but how do we say, we want this to go beyond something that we did and let it be something that God is doing? That it becomes just part of of what's going on. That as Paul told the Colossians, the word is echoing forth across the known world of what he is doing there. Could that be said about us here in York County? Could it be that God would start the third great awakening in America right here in York County? And sometimes we think about prayers like that might be a little bit too big. We think it might be a little bit out there. But God's a big God, and God's not just out there, God's here. And so if we want this to be something more, if we want to be part of a movement, I want to say, how do we be a part of something like that? Now, God is not a genie in the bottle that if we do two or three right things, we add up the magic combination, he'll do whatever we want him to do. But as God starts moving his people, it seems there are some common factors that go into that. And so this morning, what I'd like to talk to you about is two crucial elements. Now, we can't make God do anything, but we want God to move. And if we wanna see God's kingdom go forward, if we wanna be for Fort Mill, we wanna love Rock Hill, we want York County to know and love Jesus, we wanna be that kind of people in the midst of that kind of movement of God, then I think there's at least two things we find in God's word that will situate us to be ready for that kind of thing. This morning, we're gonna be in the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, I'd like to encourage you to open the book of Colossians. I'm gonna tell you like I tell our students every single week, if you don't know where Colossians is, just go ahead and use the table of contents. It's totally okay. That's what they put it there for. I mean, sometimes, you know, you stand up. I stand up to preach to some of our students. I will say, tonight, we're gonna to be in the book of so-and-so. And you can just kind of see the look on their face. Because they don't know where it is, but that's okay. They put a table of contents in there. So just go ahead and use it. We're going to be in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 4, in verses 2 through 6. Colossians is a letter written by Paul from prison. And he's writing to the church in Colossae, and he is excited about what God is doing there. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. I want to read and then pray for us. Paul writes this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this word. We are grateful more than anything for the hope of Jesus. God, without that hope, we have no reason for being here. But because of that hope, we have every reason to be under your word And so, Lord, I pray that even starting with me this morning, you would change us to be more like Jesus. I pray for the family at First Fort Mill, that they would be known as a people that are for the city because you are for them. And so, Lord, I pray that the things we talk about this morning would be beneficial and that just as the gospel echoed forward from the Colossians, it would echo forward from this place and churches all around our county. And that you would move in a way that only you can. And we'll give you credit for it. In Christ's name, amen. So the two crucial elements. The first thing I want to say is this. Intentional prayer is crucial for kingdom expansion intentional prayer is crucial for kingdom expansion. Now, Paul begins his letter here in chapter one, talking about prayer. In fact, prayer is an undercurrent all throughout the book of Colossians. 10 times Paul either explicitly or implicitly talks about prayer. And so you can see that it's a theme that runs all the way through the book. And it doesn't surprise us then that as Paul is closing out this letter, He is bringing them back to understanding they need to be a people of prayer. One of the things we realize is that intentional prayer recognizes that it is God and not us who expands his kingdom. We have to start there. Because we can get excited about initiatives. We can get excited about an emphasis. We can get pumped up and ready to go. And if we are not careful, we will do it in our own power in a way that only we can get credit for. And prayer brings us back and roots us continually in the fact that it is God and God alone who does things. As a matter of fact, if it's just something that we could do, I really don't want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of something God can do. And what Paul is doing is he is calling them back and reminding them that the thing that they're a part of is something that only God can do. It's really what Jesus taught in Matthew 6. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, when we come back to prayer, we realize that we cannot do it. But this, too, is what Jesus taught in John 15. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And as Paul is talking about prayer with the Colossians, we really see five aspects of this prayer. The first is steadfast prayer. Now, steadfast prayer, we see it says continue steadfastly in prayer. The word steadfast means resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. Steadfast is like a life that's characterized by prayer. Three times when Paul talks about prayer in the book of Colossians, he either refers to it as steadfast or he talks about struggling in prayer. You see, sometimes we think that prayer is just the easiest thing to do, but steadfast prayer is difficult, because there are many things that will come against us. Yet it is steadfast prayer that perseveres and holds on to the promises of God for what we want to do. Secondly is this, watchful prayer. So he says, continue steadfastly, being watchful in it. The it there is prayer. So we're to continue steadfastly in prayer and being watchful in prayer. Now when we see there's really two aspects of being watchful in prayer. First is watching for things that we need to pray about. Being aware of it. Having an eye towards people in situations that need prayer. One of my students taught me about this this week. Now I'm in the middle of just, or I just finished a book on prayer by a guy named Paul Miller called A Praying Life. It's been good and I've been, I've been kind of planning on how I was going to take these things and put them into practice. You know how sometimes you kind of plan about stuff and then God teaches you how you're sitting around doing a lot of planning but not actually doing what you're supposed to be doing? So we were, we were working on Wednesday um, at an overgrown cemetery, it's a historic cemetery in a part of Rock Hill. We contacted the city and said, what do you need? And they said, well, we've been trying for years to get groups to help get this place cleaned up so that we can maintain it. And, and I said, there, we'll do that. We'll be a part of it. So we were there. I had the only chainsaw of the bunch. We'd cut down all these different trees and everything. My chain came off. We went and finally got a new chain for it. And I put it back all together. It had been running great all morning. All of a sudden, it wouldn't crank. And I was just getting angry. And I was trying not to, you know, because I'm the campus minister, so I have to set the example. So I'm trying to just, you know, not be overly angry. But I was, getting, I was getting mad that this thing wouldn't crank. And one of my students, I asked one of them, I was like, why don't you pull on a little bit, because I was getting a cramp in my arm. He says, well, actually what we need to do is we need to pray over it. And I was like, yep, that's what I was thinking. Pray over it, yep, exactly. But he stops and he prays over it. He prays. He thanks God for us being there. And he prays, God, we need this chainsaw to cut down some of these trees. And the whole time I'm thinking, man, I should have been the one to say that. I should have been the one to say that. Now, some of y'all are thinking, so then the first pull, it cranked up. No, it didn't. But it did within a matter of about two minutes. We pulled on it a couple times and he said, it's gonna crank, it's gonna crank. And another student grabbed it and he pulled on it and started sputtering sputtering, and all of a sudden it cranked up. And it's easy at that point in time to say, oh, okay, good, it cranked, we're good to go, and not say that God was the one who answered that prayer. Because the second part of being watchful in prayer is not only looking for times when we need to pray, but it's looking for when God answers the prayer. A lot of times what we want to do is we want to pray, and then we'll dismiss it when God answers the prayer. Can I tell you, um, even as he was praying this morning, there's not a rogue molecule in the universe. God in the book of Hebrews tells us that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The only reason why gas combusted in that chamber is because God is sovereign over the laws of physics and he's the one who made it happen. So whether we wanna say, oh, it just happened or oh, if we had kept going, no, God was sovereign over that. And God is the one. He was teaching me a lesson. He was giving me an illustration for this sermon to help you. And he was showing and demonstrating without him, nothing happens. And at that point in time, I needed to see that. I needed to remember because we were clearing a whole lot of trees in our power. And God wanted me to remember and see he is sovereign over it all. This isn't for us. This is for him. And so we have to be watchful in prayer, watching for times when God is calling us to pray and then watching. It's an evidence of our faith to know that God will answer our prayers. The third aspect of prayer he talks about is is thanksgiving. Now, as Paul's going through, the only thing he talks about more than being steadfast or struggling in prayer is prayer that is thankful. Four times of the 10 that he mentions prayer, is connected with thanksgiving to God. You see, the natural response to a prayer that is lifted up and the Lord answers is gratitude. Otherwise, we get the idea that we deserve the answer to our prayers. We earned it, but a thankful heart recognizes we don't deserve it, yet God in his goodness gave it to us. It recognizes the character of God, our loving Father, who will not give us, as Jesus taught, a scorpion or a snake, but will give us bread and a cup of cold water. He loves us and he is kind to us. And so when we are watchful, we see and we are grateful, we give gratitude because God is kind to us. The fourth aspect is gospel opportunity prayer. That's what I'm calling it. Is in verse 3, Paul says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word. So what Paul is doing here is Paul is asking that they would pray that he would have an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Now, do you notice what it says here? He says, open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. I had a professor in seminary that said wherever Paul went, he either caused a revival or a riot, one of the two. This was a riot, he was in prison. But do you notice what Paul didn't pray for? He didn't say, continue steadfast in prayer, be watchful in it and thanksgiving and pray that somehow I can get out of this prison so I can do something. He's in the middle of prison and he's saying, pray that a door be open for the gospel. Pray that no matter where I am, no matter what situation I'm in, I will have an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. We know from other books of the New Testament that Paul says the entire Roman guard had heard about Jesus. Why? Because they got chained up to him. Paul's like, hey, how you doing? We're going to be here a little while. I got a story for you. He starts to tell them about Jesus. You see, Paul's heart was that a door would be open to share the good news of Jesus, I read a book not too long ago called Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out, and the author encourages this prayer. God, give me today an opportunity to speak with someone about Jesus, the wisdom to see it and the courage to take it. That's the kind of prayer that Paul is encouraging here, that we need to pray for ourselves and pray for each other. But closely connected with that is the fifth aspect, and that's a gospel sharing prayer. And it fits right in with that small prayer that we just said from the author of that book, because Paul's prayer isn't just that he would have an opportunity. It's that he would speak clearly the hope of Jesus. So he asked that he would have an opportunity and then he would clearly speak the gospel. If we're going to be honest, many of us freeze up at the idea of sharing the gospel, Maybe we're unsure of what we're going to say. For a lot of people that I've talked to, they're afraid of sharing the gospel. The biggest fear is they're worried they're gonna mess it up. They're worried they're gonna leave something out. They're worried they're not gonna say the right thing. This is where we realize the importance of prayer. You see, because it recognizes the power for our salvation lies not in us, but in God. You see, sometimes we're afraid because we're worried we're gonna mess it up. If we don't say it right, it won't stick or that we're going to be the reason someone's not saved. But Paul here is praying, hey, ask the spirit who Jesus promised would be with us to remind us of the things that he taught and that when we have to open our mouths, he will be there and give us the words. It doesn't make the fear go away, but it helps us understand that we are trusting in a good and loving God whose glory is on display. And he has chosen to work through us. And he loves answering this prayer. You see, it's interesting. You may not be able to see this, but in the back of my Bible, I've got this uh, tattered up yellow post-it note. Um, And that's been in there for probably about seven years now, six or seven years. Um, And I got that from a retreat that I went to as a collegiate retreat. I was speaking in the main event, but one of the breakout sessions was on evangelism. And what they did was they kind of used as a visual a way to help people think about sharing the gospel. Um, And they had three different colored post-it notes, red, yellow, and green. And a red post-it note was for somebody you knew who did not know Jesus. And you'd write their name on there. And at any point in time where you engage them in a conversation, begin to tell them about Jesus, you would take the red post it note down and write their name with a yellow. And then if by the Lord's mercy, they would come to faith in Christ, you would take the yellow one down and replace it with green as visual. So you could see this is, I'm praying for an opportunity to share with this person. I've shared with this person. I'm praying that I have more opportunities and that they will come to faith in Christ and celebrate when God saves somebody. Here's the reason why I keep this yellow post-it note in the middle, in the back of my Bible. It's a reminder to me, the only thing that I'm responsible for Is helping somebody go from red to yellow. Meaning, God has given me the opportunity to share the hope of the gospel with them. God's the one who brings them to faith in Christ. But this reminds me and encourages me that I have the glorious privilege of telling someone how they can know the King of Kings, the God of the universe, the one who gave himself for them that they might experience and know him forever. You see, we want to be praying because God is in the business of saving. You see, I used the word intentional in my point for a reason. The reason why I did that is because we don't accidentally develop this kind of prayer life. The guy I mentioned, Paul Miller, in his book, Praying Life, says this, American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. We are so busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. We prize accomplishments and production But prayer is nothing but talking to God. It feels useless as if we are wasting our time. Every bone in our body screams, get to work. Yet the constant reminder in prayer is that we cannot do this on our own. We are servants of the king, joyfully asking him to do what he can do and to hold us faithful. You see, we must be intentional about praying if we want to see the kingdom of God expand. But there's another crucial element. And we see this in verses 5 and 6. The other crucial element is intentional living is crucial for kingdom expansion and crucial living. So Paul writes in verse 5 that we are to conduct ourselves wisely towards outsiders. Now Paul doesn't use the term outsiders in a negative or divisive sense. He doesn't say, he's not trying to set up an us versus them mentality. And he's not trying to set up this sense of superiority. We are good because we're on the inside. They are bad because they're on the outside. In fact, the term outsiders helps us to remember and to remind ourselves that there are people who are outside of the family of God. People who Christ died for, who haven't yet been brought into the fold of God. You see, those that are lost and in the darkness of their sin and the message of the gospel that has saved us and is still working in our lives is a message they need to hear. Spurgeon said this, churches that do not care for outsiders quickly suffer from disunity and strife. What unites a church completely is the calling out of all its forces for accomplishing the Redeemer's grand objective. The passion for saving souls not only employs, but also draws forth the strength of the church. So Paul's encouragement here is that as we are praying for an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel, is that our lives would match up with the gospel that we are proclaiming. He says it this way in Ephesians 4, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You see, the good news of the gospel is that we are all sinners, Now that doesn't sound like very good news. In fact, it can sound very offensive, but you gotta get through the truth to get to the good news. The good news is that though we are all sinners, Christ loves us and God loves us in spite of our sin. And we could never do anything to clean ourselves up or to get ourselves right and get back to God and God knows that. And so God himself stepped out of heaven and took on flesh and lived a life that we could not live. Perfectly obedient in every way. And when our sin and rebellion deserve death and the wrath of God, Christ took that in our place on the cross. And so now what we deserve, he has already taken in our place. And he died the death that we should have died. But the good news is he got up from the grave. It shows and demonstrates that that sin that held us in slavery, that separated us from God, those consequences have been paid for and paid in full, and it was satisfactory to God. And now all who will believe in what Jesus did, not trusting in their own righteousness, not trusting in their own efforts, not trusting in their own ability to be a good enough person, but that Christ. in Christ alone can get us to God, those who believe in that will be redeemed. And they will not only go to heaven when they die, but they will experience the fullness of God even now in the midst of the suffering and difficulties of this world. That's the calling. We have been called out of darkness and into God's family. And may I say, in a room this size, there's a really good chance that some of you here You may have been going to church for years. Your grandfather may have been a pastor. You may have a pedigree like Paul did, but you may not have responded to the call of the Savior to turn from your sin and trust in Christ. And I plead with you this morning that if God has brought you here and the gospel is being proclaimed to you, do not let anything hold you back. Don't worry what people will say. Don't say, well, I'm a deacon. Don't say, well, I'm a small group leader. Or don't say, I'm the one who led my kids to Christ. It doesn't matter. If God is calling you out of darkness this morning, turn and trust in Jesus. Don't let anything stop you because the goodness of God is waiting on you. And if you're a follower of Christ, One of the things we have to understand is that one of the greatest hindrances to the advancement of the gospel is those who claim to be changed by Jesus, but whose lives and attitudes show that it may not be true. This is why Paul said that we need to conduct ourselves wisely. We need to understand that our words and our actions should match up, they should be the same, but sometimes they're not. That's why it's good for all of us to examine our lives and have people in our lives who will lovingly and strongly point out our sin. And if we look at verse 6, we see that this is especially important in the way that we speak. Paul says that our speech always should be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how to answer each person. You see, it should be seen in the way that we tell jokes or tell stories. It should be seen in a lack of harshness or insensitivity to others. It should be seen in the way that we do or do not engage in gossip or slander, in the way that we do or do not speak the truth. We are a people who have been revolutionized. We are walking miracles. That's not an exaggeration. Ephesians 2 said we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And God made us alive in Christ. I was reading this morning about Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. None of these people believed. They laughed when Jesus said, she's only asleep. They're like, no, no, she's dead. And Jesus said, no, no, she's not. And he said, little girl, arise. And just as Jairus received his daughter back from the dead, if you are in Christ, you were dead. And now you are alive. And alive people look a lot different than corpses. So let us live lives that show the hope of the life of Christ in us. Well, this morning, before we end out with a few points of application, I wanted to to, to mention one more thing. A lack of intentionality can lead to dangerous pitfalls. A lack of intentionality can lead to dangerous pitfalls. I remember one of the times several years ago when I was serving in a local church and I taught through this passage, it, it made me, I just kind of thought about the fact that the, of the implications if we don't do these things. And so I, I just kind of thought about this. If we look at Paul's instructions, we can see the dangers of not being intentional. We can grow cold in prayer. We can miss the movement of God in our lives and in the lives of others. We can develop a cold and ungrateful heart. We can miss opportunities to be used by God. We can wrongly represent Christ to those who are not believers. We can waste our lives and we can have speech that distances people from Christ rather than draws them near. But the good thing about recognizing pitfalls is that you can see what happens when we don't fall into them. You see, the problem is this can be discouraging. We can can see some of that in our lives and because of that, we can feel the weight of it. But the joy of Christ is knowing what he can do in us, how he can work through us, that as we persevere in that, you know what we can have? We can have a vibrant and connected prayer life. We can go through our days recognizing the big and small ways that God moves in our lives. We can nurture a grateful heart that recognizes continually the goodness, kindness, and faithfulness of God. We can be used by God for His glory and to bring others into His family. We can be a true and faithful representative of Christ. We can spend our lives living for things that have eternal value. And we can have our words bring healing and hope to those who are far from Christ as well as those who are in Christ. You see, the pitfalls are there, but so are the promises. And those promises are good. And those are the things that should stir within our hearts and say, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that. I want to see God use me. I don't know how. And not all of us are gonna be on the grand stage. Not all of us are gonna have our names known by people. But can I tell you what? Our names are known by the God of the universe. And it doesn't matter who knows us. It doesn't matter where our name is. It doesn't matter what recognition we got because one day we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so that's what we want to do and that's what we want to be. So what, we, what do we do with this? Four brief points of application and I'll be done. The first is this. I'm not, I'm not real creative, so just be intentional in prayer. Be intentional in prayer. So maybe this morning you need to ask yourself, in which of the areas that I mentioned do you struggle? Is it being steadfast in prayer? Do you find yourself wanting to pray but never really starting? Is it being watchful in prayer? Is it being grateful? Do you pray for gospel opportunities? Do you pray for words to share the hope of the gospel? And maybe you would say, I want to do that, but I'm not sure where to begin. I would encourage you, find a small group leader, a Sunday school teacher, find a friend, a fellow follower of Christ that you know has a strong prayer life. Ask one of the pastors and say, help me to take one small step forward in being more intentional in prayer. You see, sometimes we hear this and we think, okay, I've got to get all of this together by tomorrow. When what God is saying, take one small step, I'm working on you one piece at a time. So maybe it just starts with just being steadfast and then God brings next steps and the next steps. Second is this, examine your life. Ask God to reveal anything in your life that is hindering the gospel. Whether it's the way you talk, whether it's the TV shows you watch, whether it's an obsession with a sports team, whether it's whatever, ask God if he would show you that. And if you're really serious and really a little bit crazy, ask somebody else. I'm, you know, I'm just going to tell you, only ask if you want to hear. And when you ask, you need to give them permission to be honest and prepare to not be defensive. Because if we ask somebody that loves us, they'll tell us. And when they tell us, it stings. And everything within us wants to say no. But if we want to be people who live a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called, if we want to conduct our lives the right way, and if we know that God is for us and that turning from our sin is for our good and his glory, then it's a sting we'll be willing to take. Because the healing for the sting It's better than the sting. Third thing is this. Pray that simple prayer. God, give me today an opportunity to speak with someone about Jesus, the wisdom to see it, and the courage to take it. You see, what I I remember that when I read this, I was just kind of like, man, that is so simple. And so what I try to do now, not that I'm really good at this and do it all the time, but a lot of times I'll be walking from BCM over on campus. And if I'm going to meet somebody, I'll, be, I'll try to pray for that meeting and pray that God would give me wisdom and opportunities to share the hope of the gospel, whether they're a believer or not. But then sometimes I'm just going over on campus and the prayer that I try to pray is this prayer. God, give me an opportunity to speak with someone about Jesus, the wisdom to see it and the courage to take it. And it's been, you know, I, would, I was about to say it's been crazy, but it's not crazy. God answers that prayer. There's been opportunities I've had to have a chance to share the gospel with somebody that I wasn't looking for, but that God showed me. And there's sometimes that God says, yep, you're right. I'm answering that prayer and I'm getting them ready for next Monday. You see, sometimes God does that. Pray that prayer. Fourth thing is this. And and this this is the tie that pulls it all together. Trust in the power of the gospel to do only what it can do trust in the power of the gospel to do what it only can do. You see, I've said it before, but I want to say it again. The danger is sometimes we see and we hear this and we know that we're not there. It's at that point in time we have to do what Jerry Bridges said and preach the gospel to ourselves. God doesn't love us better on the days when we read our Bible, share the gospel, and don't kick our dog. And He doesn't love us less on the days that we wake up late, scream at our kids, run through a red light, and get mad at our boss. You see, but we live that way. But the gospel calls us to, is no matter if you've ever shared the gospel or if you've shared it a hundred times, God loves you completely in Christ because He loves you, not because of what you've done or haven't done. So we've got to hold on to the gospel. But what we find is that very love of Christ is what Paul wrote to the Galatians. It is for freedom that you've been set free. I no longer have to fear or wonder if I can earn God's love. I have it fully. Now I'm free to live for him. And when I mess up, I'm free to turn back to him and ask forgiveness for that sin because Christ has already paid for it. And when I mess up or I don't share the gospel, it doesn't mean that I have shame. It means I come to a heavenly father Who loves me in spite of the fact that I may not have done everything right, who will still smile at me because Christ has given Himself for me. And now we are free for the thousandth time to pull up and go back and strive to be faithful. Never let the gospel lose its vision in your sight, never lose that motivation. I want to pray for you and I want to ask that God would do something great in and through us. Father, thank you for the hope of your word. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. Lord, as we think about being part of something big, Lord, we know that every large wall is built with small building blocks. And God, if you're building up a city, Lord, sometimes we feel like we have to be the one who's put the giant stones in place when maybe, God, you're putting a pebble one at a time. So Lord, help us to know how we can be part of that. God, I pray for all of us that you would hold us faithful in prayer and that you would not only open doors for us to speak of the hope of Jesus, but that you would give us the words to say, And God, may our lives match up with the very gospel that we proclaim. Father, we ask for wisdom and grace. And we pray that in and all, that no other glory would be sought but the glory of Jesus. And we ask it in his name.